0: Welcome to Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willette. Yeah, so man, I just feel like we need to laugh. Ha ha ha. I don't have anything funny. Like sometimes people start with a joke. I don't I don't got nothing. But uh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> sometimes, you know, you can choose to go there. You know, joy is, I, I loved uh, a word. And uh, there's a lot of things we get to choose into. And, and joy is one of those things that, you know, we can choose to go there. And, you know, so sometimes I'm just, I'm like, I need to laugh right now. But I don't want to laugh. And so I just kind of like. Ha 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 ha! And then I start laughing for real, and uh, I start entering into joy. Amen. We can choose to enter into joy. Amen. So yeah, just felt like we needed to laugh. So if you need a laugh, just let's go ahead. Let's just have a like Levi calls them laugh breaks. Let's just have a laugh break. Ha ha ha! Yeah, joy is a fruit of the spirit. Amen. And that can be our our default. Amen? The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy. I'm getting ahead of myself in my message, but that's our default as believers. Now, Sometimes we've just kind of gotten into a different way of thinking or life, and we're like, well, that's not my default. And it's not meant to be a a discouragement for you if that's not your default, but it's to be an encouragement that that can be your default. You know, we started breaking into joy in 2017, and it's something that, like, we went after. We were like, God, we want more joy. We were like, we knew we didn't have enough. And and those scriptures started really penetrating my heart that the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy. And I'm like, God, where's the joy? I want more joy. And so we started entering in. And in 2017, I woke up January 1st, and I just was flooded. At 5 o'clock in the morning, I was flooded with joy, just like overwhelmed with joy. And you got to, if you know me, that is not how I wake up in the morning, (laughs) I wake up, and it's hard to get my eyes open. And I usually, first thing I do is splash water in my face, just trying to wake up, and then I go right for coffee. But that morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, I was overwhelmed with joy, January 1st, 2017. And I knew it was prophetic. I knew the Lord was saying, like, I'm answering your prayer. This is what I'm doing. And every year since that year, my joy and our joy in this church has increased. That was 2017. It got greater in 2018, and it's greater this year. So you can have joy. It's yours. Have it. Take it. It is yours. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 16 today. And I just want to make a declaration over you this morning. God has upgrades for people in the area of personal intimacy with the Lord. So I just prophesied that over you this morning. God has upgrades and breakthrough for people in the area of personal intimacy with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just grab onto that if that's for you. So turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 6. I didn't bring my water. I'm going to grab my water. Ephesians 6, if you're reading from a digital version, I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard, NASBA, N-A-S-B. There's so many awesome, powerful little nuggets in this chapter. So let's just pray. Father God, I just thank you so much. Thank you that we have seen you move, God. You've moved the mountains. And we just declare, do it again, Lord. Do it again, Father. We just ask for just... A breakthrough in the kingdom of heaven today. Righteousness, peace, and joy. It's ours. We thank you that that can be our default, Father. So we just ask for breakthrough. Father, we thank you that you are Jehovah. We thank you, God, that you are most importantly, Father. That we can call you Father. That we are dearly loved children. And we just ask for your kingdom of heaven to come this morning, Father God. Breaking strongholds in our hearts and minds. In the name of Jesus, amen. Ephesians chapter six. I want to read the first three verses. Let's start in the verse one, and we're going to read through verse three. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the earth. So now this scripture is not just for little children. How many know we're all children? We're all somebody's children, right? We're all children. And verse 2 tells us to honor our father and our mother. Now for some of you, that might be, you might have felt your heart go, that's hard, you might think. I I hope all of us had amazing mothers and fathers, but I know that's not the case. So, I wanna encourage you that there is blessing in radically honoring your parents. Even the ones that's like, man, there's some hard things there. They they did some things that weren't right. They've crossed some boundaries. But I wanna tell you there's blessing in radically honoring your mother and your father. In fact, the breakthrough that you've been looking for in that relationship could be found in just honoring them. Now, you may have to have some, some boundaries in place but with those boundaries in place, you can radically honor your mother and your father. And, and you can even ask the Lord, like, God, what does this look like? What does it look like? Like, if there's things that's, like, between you, if there's things that aren't right, God, God what does it look like with the appropriate boundaries to radically honor my mother and father? I think of David and Saul. Do you know that Saul called David uh, his son? Saul called David his son when he brings him into his house, and he says, you're going to live with me from now on. And he calls him his son, and I believe David took that very seriously. I believe David was like, I am his son. This is my father now. And I believe God, one of the reasons that God so radically honored David is how he honored Saul as a father. He radically honored Saul, even when Saul was trying to kill him. So no matter what your relationship with your mom and dad looks like, I just want to encourage you to just... Try and and practice honoring them radically and see what that does. It might be that breakthrough that you've been looking for. Let's read verse 4. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'm really... Glad, and it's an amazing thing that we have a culture here that's a grace culture, that's a a culture that we want people to know who they are in Christ. It's a culture where we want people to receive the love of the Father, and it's really exciting to raise up your children in this kind of a culture, and I'm really excited about that. It's not the kind of culture that I was raised up in myself. It's not the kind of culture that my wife was raised in. And it's awesome and it's a privilege to see the fruit of of that type of culture in our lives and in our children's lives. But how many know that that's not enough? It's not enough to just have your kids in in a great culture. It's awesome, it's powerful, but it's not enough. Do you know what the biggest thing that you can do for your children is? It's not college fun. The biggest thing you can do for your children is go after your own personal breakthrough and transformation. Go after your own personal breakthrough and transformation. Ultimately, your children are not gonna be what you tell them to be. They're gonna be what you are. So when you're getting your own personal breakthrough and transformation, you're not just getting it for you, you're getting it for them. Amen? Go after one of the greatest things you can do for your children is to go after your own breakthrough. Amen? And remember, you're not trying to become, your process is manifesting on the outside what's already true about you on the inside. Amen? So, how do we get breakthrough? How do we go after breakthrough? It's something that has been really important in my life and in my wife's life of like, we want more, we want breakthrough, we want to grow, we want transformation. So how do we do that? I just want to give you three keys. Number one is intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And I prophesied that some of you are going to get breakthrough in that area of intimacy this morning. When we spend time with the Holy Spirit, we begin to manifest fruit. Fruit we manifest the fruit of the holy spirit the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness and self control those are not things that we try hard to do like i'm going to try hard to be patient Urgh. i'm going to try hard to be joyful Urgh. i'm just going to it's something that manifests as we spend time with the holy spirit and so my wife has as something that she likes to say is She's like, you know, if, if I want to bear fruit for my husband, I, I can't sit in the corner and be like, oh, honey, I'm going to bear fruit for you. I'm going to have children for you. I'm going to uh, have children. At some point, what has to happen? Intimacy has to happen. There will be no fruit without intimacy. Amen. It's the same way with the Holy Spirit. We have to have that personal, intimate time with the Holy Spirit. And by spending time with the Holy Spirit, fruit is thing that happens automatically. Righteousness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Amen? So how do we get personal breakthrough and transformation? Number one is intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Number two is being part of godly community. There's an awesome verse, it's James five sixteen. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So it's interesting that it doesn't say, confess your sins to God that you may be healed. It says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Now there's other scripture that says, confess your sins to God. But this scripture emphasizes breakthrough and healing that comes from community, that comes from being vulnerable in community. We started our, our home groups, our revival groups, and man, they were re- it was really awesome. We had ours this past Wednesday. And you just get this sense of like breakthrough that comes through vulnerability and through community. And there were some people that were just really open and really vulnerable, and the Lord just really came and ministered to them. And, and you know, when people are, are open in community and we take off the Christian mask, it opens yourself, it opens you up for breakthrough. It opens you up for transformation and allows people to see you for who you really are and come around you and actually minister to you, encourage you, speak into your life. Vulnerability is so powerful. It's so powerful. The one thing that you need to remember is if we have a Christian mask on, when we come to church, when we go to our Bible study, if we've got this thing that we we put on that's like, this is my church face, right? It's like you put on your game face or this is my church face. So when we have that on and even when people try to love us, ultimately we we don't feel love because they're like, well, they just love the mask. So if I take off the mask, will they really love me? That's a question that remains in our heart. You know, one way to find out vulnerability. And I found out a couple years ago that when I took off the mask and I let people see me good, bad, and ugly, that people actually chose to love me and actually loved me more for being real, because for the first time, for some people were seeing who I really was. And it actually created a deeper level of friendship, a deeper level of intimacy. And also when you open up in vulnerability, you're gonna find that everybody struggles with the same things. You're gonna find that there's healing in just having someone else say, yeah, I've been through that, or I'm going through that. Amen? So how do we get breakthrough and transformation? Intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Number two is in godly community. Number three, and I think this one's underemphasized in the body of Christ, is Godly counsel. Godly counsel. And it can be, you know, getting counsel from people that are farther along, and, and you, by the way, there can be people that are farther along in certain areas that are younger than you. In fact, Levi is nine years younger, younger than me, and he's somebody that I receive from. He's somebody that I call and say, "Hey." What would you do in this situation? Or I'm struggling with this. What do you think about this? And I've opened up myself to be vulnerable to him and to allow him to speak into my life. So that's one kind of godly counsel. But I'm also talking about personal counseling. Like I'm talking about godly counseling. I would never recommend secular counseling to anybody for anything. I'm talking about godly counsel, preferably Holy Spirit-filled godly counsel. I think it's been underemphasized in the body of Christ, and I'll tell you why. Shame. Because people are ashamed. So we have to get over that shame to allow someone to speak into our life. My wife and I, I mean my papers are having a great time today. My wife and I, we go to marriage counseling. We've been getting marriage counseling for about six months now. We had a good marriage before marriage counseling, but we knew we needed more. We wanted more. We didn't want a good marriage. We want a great marriage. We want a marriage that's an example to our children. We want a marriage that our children can stand on and be like, wow, that was an awesome, amazing, powerful foundation. So guess what we had to do? Lower our pride and say, we need help. We don't know how to do this. We're not good at this. We realized that we had some things that we were doing in our marriage that we brought with us from our childhood. And we're like, you know, our parents, they tried their best, but we need more. We need help. And I wanna encourage you, if you're married and you need marriage counseling, get marriage counseling. Godly, Holy Spirit-filled marriage counseling. It exists and it's powerful. And my wife and I have had a lot of breakthrough in that and we're continuing to do it. And it's been a blessing in our life. So what's some keys to breakthrough? Intimacy with the Holy Spirit, godly community, and godly counseling. Proverbs fifteen twenty two. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. Proverbs 11, 14. Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. That's a good one. In an abundance of counselors, there's victory. We need each other. Amen? One of the reasons I love counseling and having friends that can speak into my life is because I need people to say, hey, you're not seeing this clearly. I need to be real enough and open enough to where I can say, this is, and you know what? It's really freeing to just be like, this is the way I'm seeing this. And, I, and the people that are my friends that I let speak into my life, they know they have carte blanche to say, you're not seeing it clearly. And I'm open enough to not try to clean it up and be like, look, this is the way I see it. Am I missing it? And they can be like, no, you're not seeing it clearly. This is, that's actually, I think you're off a little bit. It's amazing. I actually love it for me. <laughs> I actually love it. I'm like, I need to hear that. I need, I need correction. I need guidance. Amen? So getting godly input from others and godly counsel, it's humbling. But if I humble myself, God doesn't have to humble me. Humility is a choice, something that we can enter into, something that we can do. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the... Humble. You know who said that? Solomon said it first. Then James repeated it in James. And Peter repeated it in 1 Peter. So Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And then James and Peter, two men that were walked with Jesus and were on his inner circle. Probably an important verse. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Amen? I need more grace. How many need more grace? Grace, there's two sides to grace. The Lord showed me this a few years ago. Grace is like a double-edged sword. One side of grace is God's unmerited favor. It's the fact that Jesus has paid the way for us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. He's 100% paid for our righteousness, our salvation, and our blessing. Amen? But the other side of grace is it's an empowerment to live like Jesus. It's an empowerment to do the works of Jesus. It's actually an empowerment. So grace is very empowering. And the more grace I receive, the more I'm empowered to do the works that God has called me to do. Amen? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God, her grace, empowers us. Grace empowers us to do the works of Jesus Christ. How many have ever heard someone say, God's given me a grace to do X? That's really how it works. God empowers us to do the things he's called us to do. So when we humble ourselves, we receive more grace. Okay, verses, we're gonna read verses five through nine, but before we do, I just wanted to talk a little bit about those verses. So in the NASB, it uses the word, in verse 5, it uses the word slaves. In other translations, it says servants or bond servants, and I actually like that better because it helps us mentally because I think when we hear that word slaves as Americans, we immediately think slavery, our mind goes to American slavery, which was in many ways evil, and in many ways it degraded a human being, and it made them lower and so what this is talking about is very different than what we know is American slavery. And so it's something I've done a lot of study on and what it meant to be a bond servant. So a great example is this without going into a deep like teaching on it. A great example is this. Imagine you met a husband and a wife that were homeless and they had two children and they're homeless. They have no way to make money. They have no way to work. They have no home and they're stuck. They have no way to get out of it. And imagine that you took them in and said, we're actually going to take you in as family. We're going to take you in as family. You can stay with us, live with us, become part of the family. And as part of the family, you're going to have things that, that you do. Like, you know, my, ch- my children have chores. They have things that they do as part of the family, amen. So as part of the family, you're going to come and live with us. And, and, and in exchange, we're not going to charge you rent. In exchange for rent, just take care of our yard, take care of our home. And how many know that that family just felt like they won the lottery? Like, wow, now we have a roof over our heads and you're taking care of all their expenses, all their needs, all their health care. It's like you're part of the family now. That's what it meant to be a bond servant. And there was instructions in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of how to treat your servants. And one of the things that was an, an Old Testament was after six years, you had to offer freedom to your servants, so you'd say, and the, the idea was this: that you would actually teach them in that six-year period how to be on their own, how to how to actually have their own way, have your own way, have their own home, a trade or a skill, and you're actually imparting what you have to them in that period. So the idea is that after six years, they can gain their freedom and they can go and have their own life. But so this is in the Old Testament. But if they came to you after six years and they said, "We love you too much." we don't want to be freed. We want to stay your servants forever. You had to, God's law said, you had to keep them forever. So they became your family forever. And you take them down, it was actually an official thing, you take them down to a judge, they get their ear pierced, and that was a sign that they were your servant, they were your family for life. And that was their choice that they got to choose into. So this is what it means to be a bond servant. So let's read on. Actually, before we do that, one, more, one other thing is this can absolutely apply to people that you work for. So you have an agreement in a bond with them. In fact, the Passion Translation says those who are employed should listen to their employers and obey their instructions with great respect and honor. So with that in mind, let's read verses 5 through 9. It says, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Verse 7, look at verse 7. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Verse 9. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. In other words, God is the master of all. He is taking care. Remember, it's, this is a promise to take care of you. God is our master and he sees no partiality between you. So what is that saying? Don't put them below you. There's no, God sees you as no, no partiality between you. Amen? Very, very, very different than American slavery. Amen? So I want to encourage you, and you know, again, this, this can apply to your job. This can apply to those who you work for. And so I just want to ask you, do you realize that in your jobs, you're working for Jesus and not for your boss? In your jobs, you're working for Jesus and not for your boss. I realize that we have a lot of business owners here. So when you're working for your clients, you're working for God and not your clients. Colossians 3.23, it says, Everything you do, do it as unto the Lord and not unto men. So the people that you're working for, you're doing it as unto the Lord. The people that are your clients, you're doing it as unto the Lord. Amen. So I want to encourage you to quit working for people. Quit, quit your job, but go back to the same place and work and do it for the Lord. Amen? You're not working for people. You're working for the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. In fact, that was one of the breakthroughs I had as a pastor. You can. Uh, it can be a really quick trap as a pastor to think that I'm trying to please you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, my, my goal is to please the Lord. My goal is to please the Lord. And if I stay in that place of my goal is to please the Lord, I become a conduit where I can hear what he's saying to me. And he's like, this is what they need. I'm like, oh, God, that's scary. I've had moments where he's like, this is what I want you to say on Sunday. I'm like, God, that's scary. <laughs> and it's the feeling is like, okay, well, do you fear man or do you fear me? Amen fear of the Lord is honor and respect and the deep awe of God. I'm like, oh, God, I fear you. Amen? So quit your job, but go back there and do it for Jesus. Now let's go to verse 10 uh, 10 through 17. This is talking about the spiritual armor. I'm sure it's a passage that many of you are familiar with. I actually like to call it spiritual armor and weapons because it's not just for protection. It's actually there's weapons there, too, that we have. There's, there's some protection, but there's also weapons. <coughs> so the spiritual armor and weapons, it's for us to be prepared and ready for spiritual warfare. The spiritual armor is what has been given to us to keep us safe, and it's what has given to us for advancement so that we can advance, so that we can take the territory that God's called us to take. So I want to suggest to you this morning that the battle is for your mind. The battle is for your mind. So we have offensive and defensive weapons to keep the enemy from taking ground and to advance and take ground. So there's two chapters in the Bible that talk specifically about spiritual warfare that are the ones that we look at when we think spiritual warfare, and it's this one, Ephesians chapter six, and the other one is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read one verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It gives us a clue of what the battle is in the spiritual realm. It says, we are destroying speculations Speculations is like theories and conjecture, and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So, what's our battle? What are we going after? Speculations, theories, conjecture, conjecture, high thoughts. Everything that's been raised up against what? The knowledge of God, which is what God knows to be true. So God says, this is what's true about me in his word. He says, this is what's true about you. This is what's true about your circumstances. And the battle is thoughts that war against the knowledge of God. What God has said is true. That is the battle that we fight. So how do we not know if we're, how do we know if we're not winning that battle? How do we know? I already kind of dipped into this a little bit. But the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, how many know the kingdom of heaven is not just a place we're going to? Jesus said, in fact, someone came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, when's the kingdom of heaven coming? And he says, it's here right now. It's inside of you. So the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's Romans chapter 10. Kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is your default. Righteousness, peace, and joy. So when those things are interrupted, you can that's a clue that something has started to penetrate what you know to be true about God. The knowledge of God. Righteousness is the firm understanding in our hearts that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. You know that that is who you are and that's your identity. You are royalty. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're seated. I love that word that Brian had this morning. You're seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. That's your perspective. That's why you can have joy. That's why you can have great levels of peace. That's why you have righteousness is because of where Jesus has placed you in him. Amen? That's why you have righteousness. So how do we know when when we're maybe losing some battles in the spiritual warfare? It's when those things are interrupted, our peace, our joy, and that sense of royalty, that sense of righteousness. That can be your default. Amen? Amen? So let's read verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in what? Be strong in what? The Lord will never ask you to be strong in your own strength. He'll never ask you to be strong in your own strength. He says, be strong in the Lord. You know how we can have great levels of peace and joy? Because it's not our peace. It's not our joy. It's receiving from his abundant, overwhelming, unending peace and joy. It's entering in and tapping into that overwhelming, abundant peace that comes from the Father. Amen. The joy, like I shared that testimony, we knew it was available. We're like, for some reason, we're just not... Tapping into it. We're like, we started becoming really challenged. Like, God, I I, I don't want to just have moments of joy. I want to overflow with joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen? So if I'm not getting that joy, I, I don't have the strength that I need. Amen? So that can be... Your default, And God will never ask you to be strong in your own joy. He'll never ask you to be strong in your own strength. He'll never ask you to be strong in your own peace. It's his peace. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let's read verse 11 and 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness and heavenly places. So how many know that your fight is not against people? Your battle is not against people. This is a spiritual battle. Now, sometimes the enemy may be working through a person, but you always need to separate the person from the enemy. Amen? It's interesting. I don't know. I wonder what Peter thought when Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. You notice he didn't say, get behind me, Peter. Peter said, get behind me, Satan. Because the, the words that Peter was speaking was actually, this is spiritual warfare right here. The words that Peter was speaking was a thought lobbed from the enemy. Don't do this, Jesus. You don't have to go through the cross. Get behind me, Satan. I love how he separated Peter from Satan. So our battle, sometimes it might look like it has the face of a person on it, but it's not against flesh and blood. Amen? So we need to separate people with the enemy and we need to love the people and we can rebuke the enemy. Amen? Jesus didn't rebuke Peter. He rebuked Satan. Oh, that's good. I just got that just now. (laughs) Love it when I'm just blessed by my own preaching. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Let's read verse 13 and 14. Therefore, Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the two pieces that are introduced in verse 14. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. So let's talk about the belt of truth. Now, I just want to make a statement. This is a powerful statement. Your quality of life will depend on how you see God, yourself, and your circumstances. Let me say it again. Your whole quality of life that you have here on earth is going to depend on how you see God, yourself, and your circumstances. What is true about you? What is true about God? What is true about your circumstances? Jesus said, John eight thirty two. you will know the, and the truth will make you. What makes you free? You will try really hard, and it will make you free. You're gonna work, and work, and work, and then you're gonna become free. Is that what it says? No, you'll know the, and the truth makes you. Knowing truth is what sets you in freedom. Stop asking God, what am I doing wrong, God? Start asking him, God, what am I believing wrong? What am I believing wrong? Truth is what sets you in freedom. Steve Backlin, a pastor that my wife and I love, he says, you can tell how much truth you're believing by your hope level. If you have a lot of hope, you believe in a lot of truth. If your hope's really, really low, you're believing a lot of lies. And that challenged me when I heard it. I started realizing, wow, I have, I'm hopeless in this area and in this area. And then I started uncovering lies. Oh, yeah, you've believed this lie for years. You know, it's amazing when you realize you've believed a lie. You know why? Because the nature of deception is you don't know you're deceived. So the moment that you realize I've been deceived, you're set free from that lie. Amen. That was good. The truth is what sets you free. This is why declarations are so powerful. Because I'm declaring what God says about Himself. I'm declaring what God says about me. I'm declaring what God says about my situation. Amen? That's why declarations are very powerful, because sometimes as you declare, I've declared some things before, and I'm like, wow, I don't really believe that. And it unearths a lie in you. I remember uh, uh, 1 uh, Corinthians 5.21. says, he made him who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we'd become the righteousness of God in Christ. I remember reading that, and I'm like, I don't believe that. It's great to be honest with God. You'll get a lot of breakthrough if you're just really honest with God. David did it. He's like, God, where are you? Bad guys are winning, God. Where are you? And I remember reading that scripture and being like, I don't believe that. Because that scripture says, because of what Jesus did, I become the righteousness of God in Christ. And I didn't feel like I was the righteousness of God. I felt unrighteous. So I started declaring that over and over and over. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Hundreds of times a day. This was years ago because I'm like, man, I don't believe that. And I just quote that scripture over and over in my head. He who knew no sin became sin on my behalf so that I would become the righteousness of God in Christ. Over and over and over and over. And I remember one day it dropped from here because I knew it was true here. I didn't know it was true here. One day it dropped from here to here. And I was like, whoa. I'm really the righteousness of God in Christ. It's really true. I'm righteous and it has nothing to do with me has everything to do with Jesus. I knew it here, but man, it changed everything when it dropped here. It changed how I read scripture. It changed how I prayed. It changed how I prayed for other people. It Personal breakthroughs started happening in my prayer time and in, in, in just praying for other people. I was seeing God do more things because I stopped going with this sense of like, well, I'm God, just begging God to do something. God, please just, you know, I'm coming to you as this, you know, I didn't, I mentally I knew the right thing, but my heart was saying, I'm unrighteous, and I'm trying to pray for someone to get healed. When it dropped to here, I'd be like, oh, God, thank you that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And as the righteousness of God in Christ, I just impart healing right now. And it just increased things in our ministry. It was so powerful. What happened? I started believing truth. I started to believe truth. I started to believe what God says about me. That's what we're talking about. The belt of truth Putting on the belt of truth is actually just partnering with what God says is true. Remember, the battle is against the knowledge of God. What God says, this is true. This is what I know to be true. And you're coming into agreement with the knowledge of God. Amen. Is everybody okay? So remember to keep your belt of truth on at all times. Stop asking yourself, what am I doing? What am I doing wrong? Start asking yourself, what am I believing wrong? What am I believing wrong? When you're discouraged in your circumstance, like, okay, God, I'm believing some lies right now. What am I believing wrong in my circumstance? Let's talk about the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness isn't a badge that you earn. Righteousness is who you are. Christ. Righteousness is not something you can earn. You can't earn it. Impossible. That's why, that's why it says in scripture, our righteousness is filthy rags. The best person on earth, their righteousness is filthy rags. That's why Jesus said that scripture, 2 Corinthians 5:21, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could become righteous. He gave us his righteousness. Amen. We became righteous through belief in him, period. You can't earn it. It's not a badge that you can earn. It's who you are in Christ. By the way, the spiritual armor is not something that you earn. It's something that's been given to you to put on. Righteousness has already been provided. You're simply just realizing who you are in Christ. So putting on the breastplate of righteousness is being aware of who you are in the righteousness of God in Christ. There's so many great scriptures about righteousness. And if that's a new concept to you, you might be here and you're like, yeah, I know that mentally, but it's kind of a new concept that I'm actually righteousness. Because we, so a lot of us grew up in, yeah. <laughs> a lot of us grew up in, in teaching that didn't tell us we were Righteousness. Amen? And I I know there's a lot of, you know, I'm I'm careful in what I say in this because I love my church where I grew up. And there's a lot of great people. But unfortunately, there was a lot of mixture in the message of do better and try harder to become. Instead of where we are in Scripture, we start out righteous. Amen? So here's some, some great scriptures. If this is a new thing to you, I, I encourage you, grab onto these scriptures and start to confess them over yourself. This, these scriptures are for you as the righteousness of God in Christ. Psalm 512. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. That's for you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. That's true about you, but what do you believe? Does that seem like it's true? Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Psalm 112, 6 and 7, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. That's a good one. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. That's for you. Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteous are like the light of dawn that gets brighter and brighter and brighter until the full day. That's for you. Proverbs 10.24, what the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. Proverbs 28.1, the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's for you. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteous. Might become the righteousness of God in Christ. James 5.16, this is a great one. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you don't understand that you're already righteous, you'll disqualify yourself from all those scriptures. I used to read that scripture. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Oh, I'm out. I've been righteous enough. Can never be righteous enough. That's why we have his righteousness. Amen. So now I I a lot of times before I even start praying, I'll quote that scripture. God, you said the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I'm quoting it for me. Because I'm no I want myself to know that my prayers are powerful. I'm about to do something that actually moves heaven when I pray. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. One translation says it like this, and on your feet wear the good news of peace to help you stand strong. And on your feet wear the good news of peace to help you stand strong. The simple good news of the gospel is that Jesus... Paid the price for you and me on the cross. And our acceptance of Jesus is what qualifies us for heaven and for all the blessings that God has. Our acceptance of Jesus and what he did is what qualifies us. We were crucified with Christ and it's no longer us who lives. It's Christ who lives in us. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. That verse alone is is offensive in a lot of churches. (laughs) To actually know what that's saying. It's like, I've I've made you a co-heir equal to Jesus. Wow, that sounds offensive even as I say it. (laughs) But that's what Paul said. I've made you a co-heir with Christ. Let that challenge you. Jesus said, you're gonna do the works that I've done and greater works. Why? Because you're co-heirs with me. You're going to do what I did and greater works what do you believe what do you believe about yourself so on your feet wear the good news of peace that helps you stand strong the roman boot had 1 inch nails in the bottom and it gripped the ground firmly even when it was sloping or slippery so the good news of the gospel of peace, it helps you stand firm and it helps you advance. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Let's read verse 16. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. How many know the enemy doesn't play fair? He doesn't play fair. These are not just arrows. These are flaming arrows. The purpose is not just to do the damage that it's going to do when it hits. The purpose is to burn your whole house down. This is a flaming arrow. He doesn't play fair. So what is our defense? What's our armor against the flaming arrows of the evil one? It's faith. Faith is what extinguishes the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let me just encourage you about your faith for a minute. Do you know your faith didn't originate with you? Your faith didn't originate with you. Hebrews twelve two says, "Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith." Your faith actually originated from Jesus. He's actually giving given everybody a measure of faith. It's like, but what do we do with it? Your faith actually started with Jesus, and He's the author and the finisher of your faith. In the Passion Translation, it says, Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Jesus birthed faith within us, and he's leading us forward into faith's perfection. Amen. So he's done a lot on his end. So what do we do on our end? How do we increase our faith? Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith comes by hearing, receiving, reading, and declaring the word of God. The flaming arrows come in the form of thoughts that war against the truth of God. And faith is your shield against the lies and attacks of the enemy. Verse 17, the end of verse 17. Or actually the whole verse. It says, and take the helmet of salvation. Let's just stop right there. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, think saved Think saved. At some point, you need to start to believe that you're a child of God. You actually believe. No, this is actually my main purpose on earth is just to be a child of God. Think saved. Think believe and believe that you're royalty. I love that the helmet of salvation goes on your head, like a crown. You're royalty. You're meant to live as royalty. The salvation that Jesus paid for isn't just going to heaven. It isn't just that you're going to heaven, amen? The salvation, (coughs) excuse me, the salvation that Jesus paid for is that sozo salvation. That's the Greek word sozo. Anytime it says salvation in the New Testament or most of the times, it's, it's sozo. It means saved, healed, delivered. This is the fullness of what Jesus paid for. He's not just getting you into heaven. You're like, okay. I'm, I'm going to heaven, but I'm going to live like hell until I get there. Or life's going to be hell until I get there. That's not what Jesus paid for. Amen? Jesus paid for you to be saved, healed, and delivered. Healed means healed on the inside on the, and on the outside. Physically healed, he paid for it. All your physical healing. And he paid for all your inner healing. Everything inside of you that hurts, Jesus paid for that. And he paid for you to be delivered, set free from the oppression of the enemy set free from fear, set free from depression, anxiety. Jesus paid for that. We can't reduce what Jesus did to, he just made a way to heaven. There's so much more to it than that. So at some point, we need to think saved. We need to believe that we are saved, that we're children of God, that this is our destiny is to live as royalty, as children of God. And the end of verse 17 Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, this is interesting. The Roman sword was a short sword. It wasn't a long sword to do like sword fights with. It was a short sword. And one of the purposes of the sword was if you got hit by an arrow was to use your sword to dig out the arrow. So what are the flaming arrows? They're the lies of the enemy. So when one of those lies gets past your shield of faith and it hits, we take the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema word of God and we use that to dig out the arrows oh I just got hit with the arrow of insignificance I've been believing that I'm insignificant my life is insignificant what I'm doing is insignificant what's your word God what do you say about me this is the rhema word of God it's the spoken active living word of God God what do you say about me I just got hit with this arrow of insignificance you are the righteousness of God in Christ you are significant. You are destined for greatness. Your life is important. Your life has value. I'm gonna use you to do great things and use that sword, that rhema word of God to dig that arrow out. Rama is that which has been uttered by the living voice of God. So that sword, it's a defensive weapon as well as an offensive weapon. How do we go on the offense with it? Going on the offense is partnering with the words that God has spoken. And I want to ask you this question. What ground are you meant to take? Some of you have like words over you that you're like, okay, the Lord has showed me that this is ground that I'm supposed to take. This is the territory that I'm supposed to occupy. And so for those of you that you know and God's already spoken over you like what that ground is, you need to use your sword as an offensive weapon to start confessing what God has showed you that's already yours. And partner with his words. There's words over this church, there's words that we've partnered with that have came to pass when they, when they look like they really would not come to pass. And there's words that haven't happened yet that we're partnering with and we're declaring those words. I've shared the story before, but three years ago, we had about 25 people here, and we just signed a three-year lease, and all of a sudden, it was like it was a a change, and we had 25 people, and it looked like we had people that loved us that came around us, and they were like, you know what? Your identity's not in this. It's okay. It's okay if this doesn't work out. You're going to be all right, and you know, we were comforted by that in a way, but we knew that we're like, no, oh, this is actually, this is what God has and we still believe it's gonna work out. Joy started having dreams that this place was packed. She's having dreams that were packed and then in the dreams, everybody's like, oh my, what are we gonna do? The place is not big enough. Do you know that's where we're at right now? We're, we're in talks, I haven't told you guys this, but <clears throat> we're in talks with the owner about tearing down that wall so that we can put another 80 seats in. You know, when Levi came, <clears throat> We didn't announce it at all because we knew we'd have too many people. We wouldn't be able to fit everybody in. That's we're, we're there. But that was a word when Joy said. I remember her standing here and saying, There's like twenty people here, and it looks this place looks really empty with twenty people." And she's like, "The Lord says the building's too small." And I was like, "That's funny. It seems funny. I believe you, God, but it seems ridiculous." So that sword of the spirit, it's, as an offensive weapon, it's partnering with the words that God spoke over your life. So some of you have words that you know, like this is the territory I'm supposed to occupy. Start confessing those words. For those of you that don't have that word yet, I want to encourage you to go after it, but I also want to ask you a question. What's your heart's desire? There's something about our heart's desire. The Lord says, Psalm 37:4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Some of us have raised up in a religious culture that says your desires don't matter. That's not what God says. He says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So if if the Lord hasn't showed you or if you feel like you don't have a, a clear picture, I wanna ask you, what's the desire of your heart? Start using your sword to confess God's word over your life in the area of the desires of your heart. Amen? We're gonna close in verse 18 verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. I really like how it, reads in the NIV. It says it this way. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. I think that's setting some people free right now all kinds of prayers and requests. God cares about every prayer, every request, and it's legal to take your request to him. It's in the Bible. So I wanna encourage you in closing today, I wanna encourage you to pray in the spirit. It's one of those words that like, I felt like that, that word, Ephesians six eighteen was just like, jumping off the page to me this week and praying the Spirit on all occasions. And it's one of those words where I can easily come into the fear of what will people think and be like, we don't need that one. We can just kind of gloss over that. Praying the Spirit on all occasions. I want to encourage you to pray in the Spirit. Why do we pray in the Spirit? Well, number one, the Bible says it actually edifies you. You pray in the Spirit, it actually is edifying your spirit. It's edifying your soul in ways that you can't even understand or explain. I love, I love Levi's story. If you guys, some of you were here and heard it, and he said, he's like, I, I really wanted to get my prayer language, and he, he's like, so I just started really pressing into it, and the Lord gave him one word, sheikah. So he's like walking around, sheikah. Sheikah, Lord, sheikah. Sheikah. And then he pressed into it, and he's like, I don't, is this, is this even real? This doesn't seem legit. And then so he pressed into it and he got a baba. Sheika. Sheika baba. Walking around, sheika baba. And he was in a, and he was like, I don't even know if this is legit or if I'm just babbling. And he's in a meeting one night with Heidi Baker, and she says, Sheika baba. It means hold on to the father. And in the the tongue, I forget the name of it. It's the tongue for the nation that she's a Swahili. Thank you. Ah, you actually recognize it. <laughs> Sheikah Baba. So he's walking around going, hold on. Hold on. Hold on, Levi. Baba's coming. Hold on. And he starts saying, hold on to the Father. Sheikah Baba. So I want to encourage you to pray in the Spirit. Some of you already pray in the Spirit. I know that. And so I want to encourage you that those of you who already do that to push into that in this season. It's going to become even more important in your life. Why do we pray in the Spirit? Number one, it edifies us. Number two, when you pray in the Spirit, you're praying the perfect will of God. So when you don't know what to pray for, man, that's, or don't know how to pray for a situation, that's a great time to pray in the Spirit. And there can be a discipline to praying in the Spirit. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I have a 15-minute drive, and I'm just going to pray in the Spirit the whole way. And so I just enter in and pray in the Spirit. And man, a lot. I don't know what I'm saying, but I can feel something happening in my spirit. I can feel God doing something. And I love how it says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So I, I believe that you can actually say, God, I want to pray in the spirit about this issue. God, I wanna, I'm going to put my marriage out there and I'm going to pray in the spirit about my marriage. And you can start to pray the perfect will of God over your marriage with all kinds of prayers and requests. God... I need something. Requests are legal to God. God, I need something. And begin to pray in the spirit over that thing you need. Yeah. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Amen. Just close your eyes, and we're going to pray this morning. Father God, I just thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, for your tender mercies. Thank you that you are our healer. We thank you that you are our friend. We thank you that you're the lover of our soul. We thank you that you're the father. We thank you that you want us to come to you with prayers and requests. We thank you that you want us to come to you, that you want us to give us the desires of our heart. We thank you that you've given us spiritual armor to take ground and to also uh, be protected from the attacks of the enemy. And so, Father God, we just pray that we are just taking what you've given us in that spiritual armor. It's not something that we have to earn. It's something that you've provided, that we are just learning to put on that belt of truth, to lean into what you say is true to lean into the knowledge of God and not to accept anything that wars against the knowledge of God. We're going to place those thoughts into the obedience of Christ. So we take those thoughts and we put them under the obedience of Christ. We're going to put on our helmet of salvation. We're going to begin to think saved. We're going to begin to think saved and think righteous And we're going to begin to think with the thoughts of royalty and know that salvation is not just getting us to heaven. It's for us to be saved, delivered, and healed now in this life. We're going to begin to think that way. No, my default is saved, healed, delivered. When sickness comes against us, you're like, no, that's illegal. That's against the default. The default is saved, healed, delivered. We're going to begin to think that way. We're going to begin to believe... When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, that that's been freely provided for us, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, that we qualify for every single scripture I read about righteousness today. We're gonna to begin to use that sword as a defensive weapon to uncover lies that have hit us and dig those lies out by asking, God, what do you say? God, I feel like I've got hit. What do you say? And begin to dig those lies out with God's word. And we're gonna to begin to use that sword to proclaim and declare the territory that God's given us or to proclaim and declare what those desires that are in your heart. So I thank you, Jesus, and we thank you for the shoes that are the preparation of the gospel of peace. We thank you that those, that gospel of peace holds us firmly in place. And also, it's, the shoes are also an offensive weapon because with those shoes, we take ground. So we thank you, Father, and we hold up the shield of faith. Our faith is in you. We just remove our faith from the government. We remove our faith from the world systems. We remove our faith from our spouse. Our faith is in you and you alone. Increase our faith, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope you were blessed this morning. Um, Yeah, next week, exciting announcement to make. And uh, we love you. And uh, just bless all of you and your families as you go this morning. God bless you. We love you.